Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Battlefield with Father Michael Marcantoni and me, Father Joseph Collins, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst the struggles and suffering of life. Father Michael, good to be with you again today. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find us online and on social media? Yes, of course. Hello. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, on the, you can find On the Battlefield on Anchor FM, which is our main platform that shares out over Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and I believe iTunes, if I'm not mistaken, but also on social media, on Facebook and Instagram by looking for On the Battlefield Podcast. And we do check the uh, the Facebook page quite a bit. We get messages, and uh, we appreciate that because we want to turn this into a dialogue rather than a monologue. So uh, keep sending those in. Find us, once again, Anchor FM, social media on Facebook and Instagram, and On the Battlefield Podcast, and of course, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Father, we are going to talk today about living an exorcistic life. Um, I, we both think it's a good idea to start out with what exorcism is. So why don't you kick us off and then we'll start that conversation of how it is that we live a life of exorcism because we are talking about baptism, we are talking about creation, we, we can talk about uh, all of the illegitimate spirits that are in the world that try to take power for themselves that isn't theirs unless we give it to them. So there's a whole really complex thing happening here, but it doesn't need to be complex and esoteric. There is a way to do this in real life in a very real and practical way, but starting out with a, a good understanding of what exorcism is in the church, how the church understands exorcism, will get off, off on the right foot. So why don't you kick that off? Yeah, and it's and and as much as we want to talk about what exorcism is, it's also important not to understand what it is not. Uh, exorcism is not the mere removal of past romantic relationships from your life. Uh, that that is not the X in exorcism. Uh, <laughs> but um, but actually, you know, there there are a lot of uh, a lot of misconceptions about exorcism. So uh, exorcism is def exorcism is definitely not what we see in Hollywood. It's definitely not like one magical spell that causes some sort of strange, dramatic thing to happen, and then you know whatever the fallout is after that. I, for people who have, when you talk to priests who have been involved in exorcisms beyond the uh, regular and routine ones, uh, you do you know they can be dramatic, but again, it, it's kind of it's not Hollywood, which is a real analogous thing that you get when you talk to soldiers. You know, the, if you ask a soldier about their wartime experience, they'll tell you it's not Hollywood. <laughs> the wartime experience battle is not, is not what you see in the movies. Um, in any case, so if we're talking about exorcism, exorcism really does boil down to two main functions within uh within the life of this well within the scriptures and within the life of the church first off there is the the cleaning out the purging out of malignant spiritual influences so you've identified that something has a malignant spiritual influence and you seek to purge that out and the second function is then the dedicating of that matter of whatever it is that's being talked about to the service 
of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Yahweh, the God who created it in the first place. Uh, there is, when you're looking at Scripture, you're looking at this idea that sin is not merely a breaking of the rules, but rather it's this very real and malignant spiritual influence that has a predatory character. Um, people, well, at the last week's sermon, uh, I spoke about this, and uh, people hear me talk about it a great deal. But for example, the first time sin is mentioned by name is in the narrative of Cain and Abel in Genesis. And God says to Cain, before he commits the world for, world's first murder, sin is a croucher at the door, and its desire is for you. And the word croucher there is robles, which was an Akkadian demon that hunted by lurking in uh, doorway entranceways and corners and seeking to pounce on its prey. It was predatory language. This thing is hunting you. It wants to, its desire is for you. It wants to take you down. Um, and that's really squares very well with what you see in First Peter in the New Testament, where he says that the devil is as a roaring lion which roams about the world seeking the one whom he will devour. Or you go to James where it says, that which overcomes a man enslaves him. So when you're looking at the world of scriptures, you're not looking at sin as a matter of, oh, I broke a rule. It's some arbitrary rule that God said so, and I'm bad for breaking it. It's no, you have a malignant spiritual force in the world that's very real and that seeks to get its tendrils in uh, in and cause chaos and death and corruption through as many means as possible, through any means necessary. And one of the main tasks is to cast it out. It's also illegitimate. This world belongs to God. Behold, uh, Psalm 118, Behold, O Lord, all things are your servants. Or Psalm 25, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Well, if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, what place does the devil have? What place do the do do the demons have? Well, they really have no place. Um, however, we as his image and likeness have tragically allowed them a certain foothold within our reality that has not been shaken because we keep letting them in through this thing called sin, through this participation in their action. So in exorcism, we clear out that influence. We clear out that presence. But then it's not just to say, okay, it's gone, and then you go about life like nothing happened. Uh, that's what Jesus talks about. I believe it's Matthew 7, where he says, um, when a demon is cast out, it goes and wanders through deserted places. And then finding no rest, it seeks to return to its previous home. And if finding it swept and in order, it brings seven more spirits more wicked than itself. Right? So there's this idea that you don't just create a void and a vacuum for it to be refilled. But instead, you're clearing out the illegitimate, malignant, spiritual influence if in order to reconsecrate whatever is being spoken of to the God who created it to begin with, and to whom it properly belongs. Uh, this is why Romans says that all creation groans waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. All creation is groaning under this weight. And Father, the reason that I said uh, that I said the standard exorcisms, you and I, as priests, we perform exorcisms at every baptism. The Indeed. Baptism 
Yeah, baptism begins with exorcism. The making but, of a catechumen. Yeah, and, and and by the way, and I know this is not standard practice in our jurisdiction, but for adult catechumens, I, I even if they're going to be chrismated, I will do that service separately. I do the same thing. We just yeah. did one on Sunday. I, I do them entirely separate and make them a catechumen and then let them be a catechumen until they're ready to be brought into the church, either through the enlightenment of baptism or the enlightenment of Holy Chrismation. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing. Yep. That's exactly the exact thing I do. And uh, I mean, again, if we, if we believe these prayers are beneficial and useful, why would we, and someone's going to be a catechumen, why would we withhold that and not do it properly? And if we don't believe that these prayers are, are beneficial and useful, why are we doing them at all? So either we take it seriously or we don't. Um, but not only is the person exercised, but if you look at baptism, lots of stuff is exercised. The water is exercised. The water is blown on and exercised several times. Um, you know, and, and, and the priest prays, let no de- let no unclean spirit uh, descend with him who is about to be baptized into this water. No demon of confusion. or I mean, it, all of these demons are cast out and the water is crossed. And then... The priest finally says, manifest yourself, O Lord, in this water. Like it's, it's, it's only the blessing of God is only called down after this water has been cleared out and consecrated to God. Um, and, and that's when you read through the liturgical text, the oldest liturgical text, both East and West, that was a standard type of formula. In the Orthodox Church, it still is for the traditional blessings. With Western Christianity, it's rarely seen, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, so that that's and and the reason why this has to happen more than once is because we don't stop sinning, because we don't stop letting the those illegitimate tendrils take hold. Um, you know, if we were to maintain the uh, our pledge spotless and our baptismal garment undefiled and uh, keep the covenant flawlessly from baptism to death, then maybe there'd be no need. However, that's not what happens. And we find ourselves in need of repentance, which means we find ourselves in need of these prayers and in need of these blessings. Um, uh, you know, one of the, uh, as a matter of fact, if you read through the prayers of blessings of homes and blessings of businesses, the, the exorcistic language is there. So, but I don't want us to think about it in Hollywood terms. I want us to think about it in real terms. It takes the presence both of, uh, that takes the reality of both malignant spiritual presence in the world as a tangible personal thing, uh, seriously, and also the presence of the more tangible, more personal, more existentially real and permanent presence of the Holy Spirit in the world, seriously. And, right. then, and then look at ourselves and say, well, this is the net, which, which one are we inviting into our homes and into our families and into our lives and into our marriages? And so like, I, if we're going to, I want to take that seriously. So that's, that's kind of what, that's what I'm thinking. What, what about you? I, I was reminded when we were just talking about baptism and the, the expulsion of the demons from the water and then the breathing on the water and then inviting the Holy Spirit to, to descend into the water reminded me of what we were talking about ahead of time and the words tohu vovohu, 
that the earth was formless and void, and that when God in Trinity chose to create, there was chaos and darkness to be dealt with first. So he he casts out the darkness and light appears. So there's this there was a an exorcism of the darkness and the chaos from the beginning when creation began. God cast out the darkness, he cast out the chaos and then he blessed through creation. And that's exactly what the baptism is envisioning and picturing is that that same sort of creative act is happening right then and there. There's a, a recreation story happening in baptism. And that's a very real and tangible thing where you're casting out the darkness, you're casting out the evil and replacing it with life and light and order. And that that thing that starts for the Christian in baptism is something that has to happen dynamically every day for the rest of our lives. Is that recreation through repentance, recreation through the casting out of chaos by means of ordering ourselves according to the will and the presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's what I think you were just talking about uh, to everybody listening, is that, that this can be real, that, that that sort of order can actually exist in our lives. It's not some esoteric idea, but really an, an actuality that can be practiced and lived. Uh, and for me, that living the exorcistic life isn't a Hollywood thing. It's not people's heads spinning on their shoulders and all that, but more or less, more or less, understanding, gaining a clear understanding by means of theocracy or through discernment of who I actually am, understanding my sinfulness and seeing my sinfulness more clearly each and every day, and then living in the tension of my sin and offering my sin to Christ as an offering, because that is truly an offering that I can make that is truly mine. I can offer to Christ my sin, because my sins are uniquely mine, and they need to be offered to him each and every day, which means that I'm admitting and understanding and acknowledging and accepting my faults. And in the weakness of that place, like St. Paul said, we are made strong. What, is that kind of on par of what you were thinking? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, but but look— so I mean, and that that has that has good parallels, right? In the uh, that has par- good parallels in the the sacrifices made on on the Day of Atonement, you know, where the where the sins are placed on the one goat and it's sent out in the wilderness to Azazel. But that's not the goat that's sacrificed, right? The goat that's sacrificed is the one that's dedicated to Yahweh. And so, we, but but the, but what we, what you're talking about, what you're really talking about is this this notion that. Um, again, my sin is not just, it's not just breaking some, some arbitrary rule. It is building a spiritual template that will, a metaphysic that will undergird the reality in which I exist and the reality that I bring into 
the lives of everyone in my sphere. You know, if the if the spirit, if the demon of of, of rage and hostility and resentment is something that I never exercise and expel from my life, well, I mean that culture is going to permeate the household, right? And then it takes, then it sinks its claws into your kids. Um, I, but I, but it's 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 really this is where we see the beauty of God's healing for us because he's not looking and just saying, well, let's, you know, let's uh, deal with these symptoms and kind of just make things nice and superficial. Like this reading coming up in the gospel for this Sunday where um, the paralytic is healed and Christ says, you know, your sins are forgiven. Well, I mean, th- there's no record of this guy sinning except that he's a human being. And, and the Pharisees are like, who are you that you forgive sins? And Christ's like, well, which is easier, to say to him, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But the, the Son of Man, that you may know that the Son of Man has his power. Rise, take up your bed, and go. You know, well, but that's, that's the same thing he says to us. Like, look, I want you to get up and go. That's going to have no value if where you get up and go is to exactly what got you here in the first place. If the underlying malaise and, and disease and disorder within your own soul is not set right. So your sins are forgiven. Like the like again, it's not the it's not the rule. It's not just the rule breaking. That's a that's a symptom of the disease. The spiritual the spiritual cancer is excised from your life. You are now free. You are now free to actually get up and follow the God you say you're following. I mean, so he gets to the heart of the matter. That's that to me. That's that's really the core of what's at the exorcistic life. It's like, no, let's not just let's let's cut through the window dressing and really get to the heart of the thing. What is really at the heart of this? Um, and if you've ever sat and counseled couples, you know, it's like they'll they'll bring you a fight, and it's you know whatever the fight is that they come to talk to you about is rarely the thing they're really fighting about. Well, I mean, so like let's. Let's cut through the window dressing and really get down to the nitty gritty and exercise the problem, get the problem out. Um, and, and then, of course, right, uh, you, you, you refill that with the, with the Holy Spirit, with the dedication to the Most High God. But you mentioned discernment, diacritisi, and this is my biggest caution uh, I think this is probably the thing that's kept me from talking about this more than anything else, because this is something I think about a lot. This is something I would like to talk about a lot. It's hard to talk about because it's very difficult for it's very difficult for people to for anybody to really navigate in a healthy and sober way. So I think like when you talk about this sort of thing, people will tend, unfortunately, to go to two extremes. There's either the one extreme where we're drawing too many non sequiturs. The problem is when you're talking about malignant spiritual influences, you don't, you can't always say, well, this, therefore that, like this happened and therefore that happened. You know, I did this, like I, I yelled at my brother and then, and then my car broke down. My sin must've caused my car to broke down. No, <laughs> not getting, uh, no, but, yeah. I, but we, life well, isn't a series of, uh, Things that happens that we can create simple syllogisms from. Yeah, it's not a post hoc thing. Post hoc, like and we all know people who do that, right? Like they seek to be spiritual. They're trying, no, you know, but like they'll draw some real non sequiturs. 
that can lead to some really unhealthy anxieties and, and over-preoccupations. And it's not good for them or for anybody. Um, and, and it's like, well, no, it's not that there are no sequiturs, but we can overdo it, right? You know, uh, well, it's or, living in fear or yeah. in a in a weird yeah. place based on things that you actually have no control over and that you don't know if A led to B necessarily. And you don't know, well, and you don't necessarily know where A led to B. And there could be A's that lead to B's that you never see coming. I mean, you know, right? But we. Well, the thing is, we often don't know. God often does not make that knowledge available to us. So drawing the sequiturs, drawing the, the conclusions is not always a very profitable thing to do because we don't really have all the info. What we do know, and this is enough to at least get on the road, what we do know is that... M- the only thing that these malignant spiritual influences uh, of sin and the devil will bring into our life are bad. They're not going to bring good things. And if they bring things that appear to be good, they will end up not being good. Like, for instance, uh, when you look at the, uh, at the Book of Enoch, um, when you look at the Book of Enoch and you, you see the fallen angels teach metallurgy, to human beings. By the way, there's nothing wrong with metallurgy, but you see them teach it. Well, what is the next consequence of that? They make weapons of war and kill each other. Like, like the very next consequence is, is an increase in murder. Um, the problem isn't metallurgy, right? Metallurgy is fine and good. I mean, Moses has to use metallurgy to make the tabernacle. You know, he, he has to melt, make molten cherubim. So working metals is good and fine. But here, here you have the, even when 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 the illegitimate, sinful, fallen powers offer something, even if it's something that's objectively good, they offer it for our destruction. So, the sequiturs, the consequences, the which follows are really, really don't. It, it doesn't really matter what the details are because we just know it's not going to be good. You, nothing good is going to come of this. It doesn't really matter which bad thing comes of it because. We want to avoid all of those bad things. We don't want any of them. There's not a good one of them. Um, and, and, and of course, right, the, correspondingly, when, you know, as, as the fathers tell us, he who has the Spirit of God ha- has all the gifts, all, all, all the gifts of, of grace. And, and even Paul says, I admonish you to urgently desire the higher gifts. Why? So it's like, you know, again, but the reason why... Uh, there's no law why he says, you know, uh, love, patience, joy, uh, kindness, generosity. There is no law against these things. Well, yeah. I mean, so there's nothing bad. There's not a bad gift of the spirit to get. There, there's not, you know, there's not a, there's not one that you won't be happy with. They're all good. So I think part of the problem is though, we, we, we can overthink it and overanalyze it and over draw connections and because we're anxious because we're nervous because we take it seriously and that can get us really far afield and it makes it very hard as a priest to talk about these things because if you're preaching to a hundred people on a sunday you really don't want to send 89 of them out in the wrong direction because they did not understand you the way you meant to be understood not even misunderstood you, not even poorly communicated. You meant to be understood one way, it got understood another. 
everyone had good intentions and it still went bad. That's a real thing. And so it's these things need to be talked about, but it's it's difficult to do well. And so I, I endeavor to do so carefully. Um, then there's the other extreme where someone may look at all that and say, well, if we have no way of knowing what the sequiturs are and it's too much to handle and I don't have all the information, then I just can't be bothered with any of it. And I'll just you know try to be an ethical person, which is not the point of religion. The point of the Christian faith is not to make you moral and ethical. Uh, so it, it is to unite you to the most holy trinity, but period, stop. Like, that's it. God became man so that, that first, well, you know, instead of quoting St. Athanasius, I'll quote Peter's epistle. Do you not know that you are called to be partakers of the divine nature? That's first Peter. So, I mean, that's it. That's the purpose. So, you know, if we're avoiding, if we're casting out sin, it's so that that can be achieved. Be that so that you can be partakers of the divine nature. It's not so that you get less stuff. It's like, oh man, I've got to be a Christian, and now I don't get to do all this cool stuff. It's like, no, no, no. You you're a Christian, and you're aspiring to this holy life, so that you can have, uh, so that you can have a, a, an existence beyond uh, the the feeble, or sats unsatisfying. Uh, offers of sin, like beyond what you could imagine. Eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, so, but those are the two, that's why the accuracy discernment is, according to St. Anthony, the highest gift. Because how do you navigate not making the wrong connections and also not being just so flummoxed by the un knowns that you don't even start and 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 still get anything profitable done it's not easy um and so i i don't i don't fault our people for for not always knowing what to do with this this is it's it's essential but i mean like truth be told like i, I can't blame people if they you know if they look at this and go well, what am i supposed to do with that it, it's it's hard to navigate so so i I'm probably one of the 89 that, that leave not understanding. But what I hear you saying is live an ethical life and make sure you send those checks to the mega preachers that offer you health and wealth based on biblical principles and promises. No, I'm saying uh, I'm saying live an ethical life and send donations to On the Battlefield podcast at Hanker FM. <laughs> oh, oh, we, well, are see, we, are currently, we are currently taking sponsors now. <laughs> that's great reserve now, your spot now yeah and make sure that you, the that the bus of salvation doesn't pass you by because you didn't write those checks oh good lord oh. Or make venmo or paypal donations directly to me oh my god yeah the the um, you, you know you know what's funny is the um like if we're talking about sin as a predatory nature croucher at the door the devil is a roving like there's nothing more predatory than that like that's some predatory stuff right there well and if you don't receive the promise you're a sin sinner and you didn't deserve it and you just weren't ready for the blessing so send more money absolutely and that's but, that's, that's got to be you know that's gotta i mean be in the gospel somewhere right what do you mean it's the gospel of health and wealth i mean it, it's not just in the in the gospel it is a gospel unto itself it is the good news my friend yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. It is. It, you know, it's we had to, where Paul says, you know, should an should even an angel of light preach to you a gospel other than the one you have received from me? Do not listen. Uh, 
I, I, you know, and, and that's kind of like, there's a meme for all that on, uh, on social media, right. Where like someone's spouting the sort of health and wealth and ease. And then it cuts to, uh, it cuts to an image of like Job, you know, the righteous Job right. with his sores and he's on a dunghill and he's not healthy, uh, or Paul who, uh, I mean, you know, he's, he is like paramount, one of the paramount among the apostles and he had some kind of health problem, some thorn in his flesh. The answer to his prayer was no, my, my grace right. is sufficient for you, but you, you, you get to have this for the rest of your life. And the, no one knows what it was. Or the epistle reading from this past Sunday, that, that very common epistle reading of, of the great cloud of witnesses somewhere bound by chains, burnt alive, sawn in two, of which the world was not worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They, they, so, yeah. They, they, there's, and, and I got to tell you, I think, I think that looking, only looking at the sunny promises uh, of Scripture and not looking at the very hard realities, um, it's something that can only happen in an affluent and decadent society. In 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 parts of the world where hunger and thirst and disease and danger are still as real and present as they were for most of history throughout the entire world. Um, like that, that theology just couldn't get legs because people go like, no, life is hard. Tell, tell me more about how to deal with the hardship of life because that's, that's a given. Um, and somehow we, we have such, such a historical ease that we forgot about that. Uh, I mean, and, and and it's true, like the kind of ease that we have right now in our first world North America, this is unprecedented in human history. I mean, what do you mean? This is the worst society that ever existed. It's incredibly unjust. <laughs> yeah, God is unjust. And we should be grateful that God is unjust because if he gave us what we justly deserved, we would not be happy with it. He forgives us when we don't forget, we deserve to be forgiven. <laughs> you don't, you don't want a just God. You do not want a just God. You want a merciful God. Uh, because if he was just, if he was just, and you think that you're, that you'll fit the bill, you're, you're in a lot more danger than you realize. It's like, you do not want to just God. You it's want a good thing that his anger. justice is also merciful. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I talking about discernment, one of the critical and key things that I, I try to keep in the dynamic tension of my life is when, when discernment is coming that I have to remember what the Lord said in the garden of Eden to, to Adam and Eve, their first sin was to be able to discern in a way to because the tree was the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil so what they desired was wisdom what they did what she saw what the devil tricked her into doing was to to bring into her life this this naive life was was to know to discern between that which was good and that which was evil. And in, and in that moment of clarity, of being able to discern between the two, death came into the world. Um, but it wasn't just, it wasn't just the, the, the capability to discern. It was the unpreparedness. If God says that everything in the garden is good, then that means that that tree was good too. 
um, the fathers, right. there's a point made in orthodoxy that, that that tree would have been given to them as well, but in due course was something Correct. that they were not, that it was, it wasn't never, it was not yet. And that language of knowledge of good and evil elsewhere in the scripture points to maturity. You know, it, it's like, for example, where, um, in, in Proverbs, uh, where, where it speaks about, well, where it speaks about where it says oh, the child before he is able to know good from evil. So whenever in whenever the scripture speaks about someone knowing good from evil, know the right hand from their left hand. You, you're talking about someone who is mature. And so, so you have a really real image here of you uh, of you have not gotten here yet. And what the devil is doing is what we were saying earlier, right? Of with the example of uh, of metallurgy and weapons of war. What the devil is doing, he's taking something that's good, something that will be theirs in due course, and he's giving it to them out of season. He's acquiring them to misappropriate it at an inopportune time. And this is the same temptation he places before Christ uh, during his temptations, where he says, um, behold, I'll give to you all the kingdoms of the world, or turn these, turn these rocks into bread. And, you know, and, and Jesus says, well, no, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You're, uh, the Lord your God alone shall you serve. Man does not live by bread alone. Well, it's not that he, I mean, he is the son of man. He is the son of God. However, this is not the time and the way that these things need to occur. This, this, is, not the, the, this is not the time and the place and the moment, the keros, of uh, taking the nations back and uh, making food out in the wilderness and so forth. He'll make food out in the wilderness. He'll make food out in the wilderness at the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, a couple of stones in the bread, that's nothing. Feeding thousands of people with five loaves and having leftovers. That's a big deal. Um, the, the taking the back of the nations in the world, Pentecost, with the sending of the Holy Spirit, by the, what the devil's inviting him to do is to derail the very work he came to do and to misappropriate these things out of mm -hmm. due season. And that, that's, that, that's really the temptation. That's really the temptation at the tree. Um, that's really the temptation at the tree. Um, you know, they're being invited to misappropriate something out of due order. Right. And the doing it out of order, it helps me to understand discernment as, as being guided through, through time and acquiring wisdom throughout my life to be able to see the difference between that which is truly good and that which is truly evil. And seeing that there is often a perceived gray area and in the lack of, of pure knowledge and in, the, and in my humanity, trying to do my best to always choose the good, to see the good and to be moving, to, to have a trajectory toward the good that's ever improving, right? Uh, and that's part of the exorcistic life is, is that it is dynamic and that it is going to be full of missteps. It's going to be full of mistakes. However, the, those mistakes need to bring us back to the point where we, to a point of recognition and acceptance of what we are, right? It, it, if, I, if you want to see me at my most demon-possessed, it's going to be when I don't see my own faults, that when my faults are my virtues, and that I'm just ignoring the input that I'm receiving from the church and from the people around me, and I'm just doing whatever I want, 
when I want and thinking that I'm exempt of any sort of pushback or repercussion. Because it's in that very moment, it's in that, it's in that space, I should say, not in that moment, but it's in that space that I am most deceived and the furthest from God because I am completely out of touch with my sinfulness. I'm completely out of touch with repentance. And I have turned my entire life over to illegitimate demonic presence. And I have in that place offered myself on the altar of the demon that I am worshiping through my activities. And if that needs to be exercised, I need to get back in touch with my faults. You see that in in the Christian sphere, and this is very weak language, but to see in the Christian sphere that having an idea of what my faults are, what my vices are, is a great virtue. Because in seeing and knowing and grappling with my faults, we are, I and we are able to actually exorcise the demons because they no longer have power over the faults. Because in that place, we then offer our faults, back to that sacrificial language, it's in that place that I can take my fault and look the Lord squarely in his eyes and say, this is where I fail you every day. This is where I'm failing you right now. And my weakness and my sin I'm offering to you because that's why you came into the world. You came into the world to overcome sin and to give us victory over death. And I'm offering you this sin. I'm offering you this death. Make it new. Replace it. Cast it out and replace it with your Holy Spirit that I could be more like you. And that, 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 that's the real discernment is seeing the difference between the good and the evil in my life and then not running away from my sins, but running toward them in the, in the sense of running toward acknowledging them for what they are and then doing the good thing, which is offering them back to Christ. Well, and, you know, and again, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what we're looking at with ourselves. I mean, in a very real way, in a very real way, repentance boils down to exorcism in a very real way, because we're looking, we're saying, you know, this is territory that belongs to Yahweh. Uh, there are illegitimate spiritual forces in it. We push them out. They don't just leave and say, "Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. I guess we'll we'll go elsewhere." No, they they try to come back. They we you know the 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 sins and misgivings and habitual wrongs within us have very deep hold, and they they don't give it up easily. It's very grudgingly, and so um, those claws will get sunk in over and over and over, and so we have to push back over and over and over. Um, you know, a real analogous thing is said in recovery circles like uh for uh, in addiction recovery circles where there's a great caution that gets given to people um who get farther and farther along in sobriety um and they will warn you that that if you relapse the relapse will be worse than how however things were back when you were drinking because 
your the strength of your addiction, the strength of your alcoholism has continued to increase. You just ha- you haven't been feeding it, but it hasn't gone away. However, it continues to increase. So, like a lot of sponsors will say, "Don't forget, you know, you're you you you've locked up your addi- your addiction, but it's in its cell doing push-ups." And and that's that's a fact. So it's it's in its cell doing push-ups. It wants another opportunity to take a swing and it uh it it will be just that vicious so like wait so there's in the big book of alcoholics anonymous there's a story about a guy who you know he he got sober in his late 30s and he was had a good 20 years of sobriety and after 20 years and his life got back in order and you know good great career great family like i mean really put a great life together as a sober man and then at the end of his life trashed it all because he thought, well, surely I can handle this now. And, uh, and, and he was wrong. And he, it was in his, his addiction had been doing so many pushups that, um, that he was not able to get sober again. Now that's most people, not everyone, but most people have at least one or two relapses under their belt. So, uh, that's certainly not, it's not that disastrous for all, but it's a cautionary tale. And that's the story of what we see uh, sin in the scripture too. Like even uh, in the Apocalypse of John, the last book of the scripture, and, and the word apocalypse, apocalypsis, just means revelation, just means a revealing. And we, you know, it's really interesting. The title of the book is uh, the it's 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 attributed to John as the writer, but the if you read the title, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Right, uh, because he's the one revealing it. Like it's it's not just John. It's like no, these are this is Jesus's message. But anyway, um, what we see in there is you see the the serpent and the devil being bound for a thousand years and thrust into the pit, and then being loosed for a short time. Well, what does he do as soon as he's loosed? Well, like any angry prisoner, he wants to he he wants to lash out at his at his jailer as quickly as possible. And, and, you know, get as much fury out as possible, especially if he knows he's going back in, like go down, you know. And so, so that's the way that these sins function in our lives. It's like, okay, I've, you can't, you're, if you, if you, if you say to yourself, okay, I've dealt with that, I'm done with that. And you think that it's not dangerous anymore. You're kidding. You're fooling yourself. You're not only are you wrong, but you are lying to yourself, and um, the father of lies wants you to believe that lie. the 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 people who truly achieve greatness and holiness, they don't let that guard down. They they don't they don't take a break from their watchfulness. They're looking and saying, "No, uh, whatever the sins are that you look down on someone else for, that could be me tomorrow. So let's be watchful today." And, and, and that's that continuous struggle that can, conti- and it, that truly continuous battle. I, and I just, I, I think that, I think again, I think we would really see it for what it is if we did not reduce, uh, sin and virtue to mere ethical qualities. If we really saw them for the living and vibrant, active, uh, spiritual forces that they are we realize you know the things we think and say and do are much more consequential than we believe 
and of equal consequences knowing like where where those boundaries lie so again that comes back to the discernment we mentioned earlier it's like well how do you manage this because i because the worst thing we can do with this is start to paint some uh some very some lofty cosmic picture that also doesn't accord with reality like it needs to be tempered with reality um you know so we have to look and say like like for example, uh, if you're if you're counseling someone on sin and they're and they're saying, "Oh, well, I don't really have a problem with uh, let's pick on temper. Temper is such an easy one. It really is. It's such an easy one to use as an example because we've all been there, and it's also uh, like it's 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 a it's just a it's a pretty easy one to analyze. So I don't really have a temper temper on your problem, but your relationships are unmanageable. You know, conversation with your spouse is. Uh, not improved, but done the opposite. Well, if it's making your life unmanageable, then it is a problem. And if if you don't think it's unmanageable, would the people in your life think it's unmanageable? Like that's the other thing. It's like, oh, you don't think you don't think that you're an angry father. Well, let's see. Let's see what your kids have to say. What is their recollection of the? of the tone in the house, you know, um, and, and looking at that is painful. Looking at that is so painful and so gut wrenching that it's easier to not do. Um, so when you, when we get angry, I mean, this is really practical. I think a lot of people have anger issues. A lot of people to varying degrees, obviously, but rubber meets road time. What what are some practical ways to exercise anger? Well, uh, so I will because I don't have I don't have it in front of me. But what's very interesting? So if you look at if you look at the uh, if you go to volume one of the Philokalia, uh, Saint John Cashin's list of the eight demons that plague the monks, and there's the and and he doesn't just list them, he he gives like a whole sometimes page on each one of what they do to fight it. Um, and I would encourage people to look in there under, under wrath because that's, that's the list that will become the seven deadly sins two and a half centuries later in the West. Um, so, but uh, I'm trying to remember, I, I, I'm trying to remember, I also want to say St. Maximus the Confessor when he talks about it, he talks about, it says a similar thing, and he says something to the effect of, and I'm not remembering well, but like, for example, so anger and resentment are cast out by what? Well, by, by doing acts of charity and kindness and prayer. So basically, by forcibly doing the things that run against the inclination of the sin. I mean, and I think that's what it boils down to. It's like, I want to lash out at you. Now I'm forcibly going to do things for your benefit. You know, yeah. uh, I want to break you down. I'm going to forcibly build you up through prayer. Well, remember that Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So if you say to me, Father, I'd have to force myself really hard to do anything good for my wife when I'm so resentful with her. Well, 
The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It's not given to you on a silver platter. That that, that goes back to the the uh, the problem we have that you brought up with, like the the ease and prosperity gospel of America. It's like we expect it. We expect this to be handed to us on a silver platter, and it's all easy going. And nowhere does the scripture even hint that it's going to be easy going. Jesus may say, you know, behold, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's still a burden, man. And it's still a yoke. And you only put on a yoke to do work, and work is hard. <laughs> I mean, so, like, it, so we, we've got, I, I think we've got to look at that. But, but where the devil is incredibly foolish is, I think the, the, I think the, the exorcism, the solution, to most of these bathi, to most of these passions, lies in going contrary to them. You know, so. So it takes some discernment. It takes some absolutely. introflection. Absolutely. It, it takes effort. But yeah, you're so there's see, no there's no silver gonna, arrow is no, what you're saying. No silver bullet. But you're going to see stuff if you're really serious about it. You're going to see stuff that you hate about yourself, and you will encounter the devil under his oldest title, the accuser. Because you will begin to see your faults and failings, and he will not stop whispering them in your ear. You know, you're going to see stuff about you that you would rather not see. It is really easy. We're all super prepared by Hollywood to encounter the evils in the world and to be the hero. Um, it is, but we are terribly unprepared to gaze into the abyss and blackness and villainy of our own soul. And to say, let there be light, and to cast those demons out. But the men and women who have the stalwartness to do just that, we call saints. We write books about them. We remember it's them. It's so hard, man. It is yeah. so hard. Like, I look at my own life and the times that I get angry, I know, like, looking back, it's not always clear in the moment why I'm angry. And when I do get angry, it's very easy to quickly say to myself, well, this is a justified anger. I'm good here. But looking back, 99 out of 100 times, the anger wasn't justified. It was me having my toes stepped on or somebody doing or saying something that I didn't like that offended me. And I got mad. And even when so it it's, is a me, it's a me issue. And even when it is justified, it's not productive. And I can't really think of yeah, too it's many very situations rarely, where... But anger... That type of anger that we're talking about is almost never justified. And no. the justified sort of anger doesn't come across as anger. No. Yeah. It comes I, across as a hostility towards a bad idea or something wrong. And that's very clearly discernible by people. Anger, yeah. like sinful anger is sinful anger. And people know it. Yeah, you, you really know? can. Yeah, you really can. You really can see a difference. But, you know, the... Well, I mean, again, look at what Cain, what God says to Cain. Cain in the Second Temple literature is like the he's the, uh, the 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 he's the archetypal heretic. He is the wicked man. He's a big figure in Second Temple literature. Um, kind of, I, I I'd say analogous to Judas. You know, the way as Christians we look at Judas as this great lawbreaker. And this archetypal man of wickedness, um, that was Cain. Uh, and in both cases, their unwillingness to win a battle before them 
is what makes it tragic. So like Judas, it says that he threw the money, he threw the money back at the Sanhedrin and the verb is used. It said he repented, he changed his mind, but it, then he went and hung himself. It was a repentance that led to despair. It did not lead to salvation. It, it wasn't the same type of thing, you know, and if he had come back to the apostles and he had been present to beg the resurrected Christ for forgiveness. Um, who knows, right? Like that could have been the greatest comeback story in history or maybe not. I mean, what do I know? But what I'm trying to say is that the, the despair, like there was no, there was no amending of life. There was no repentance in that sense. There was no amending of life. There was just despair. He knew what he, scripture says he knew what he did was wrong, but he didn't set it right. Instead, he went and hang himself. Cain does a similar thing. God tells him, God warns him, sin is crouch is a robless, a croucher at your door. It's hunting you. It's desire is for you. And then God says to him, but you can master it if you wish. So he's telling him, you can beat this. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. The God of the universe is telling you, look, you have a pivotal battle in front of you. I am identifying the foe. And I'm telling you, the battle is yours to lose. You will win this if you fight. You can win this. You must master it, but you can master it if you wish. And you can. So, I mean, what better cheerleader do you have than that? All you've got to do is proceed in and, and, and win and fight. And instead he goes and he prefers to not take down the crouching demon. Uh, and he goes and commits the world's first murder. So, but look at that. I mean, so like when anger crouches for us, when lust crouches for us, when uh, resentment, whatever it is, like, it's not that we can't win the fight. Like what's really the, the real ugliness that we have to face in ourselves is that we kind of don't want to. Or we see it as a, the, something that I was talking to Presbytera about last night is that that idea of neutrality that it doesn't exist on the spiritual battlefield. We were talking about um, some of the music that people listen to today, the music that I really enjoyed when I was a younger man. And uh, one of the artists that came up committed suicide, was drug addicted, you know, just a train wreck of a life by all accounts. That, that, when, that when we put ourselves into the sphere of that music, not only are we giving our soul to the music, and we know that Lucifer is a musical being and that he can really abuse and misuse music to attenuate our souls in a negative direction. That, that's an ancient theory from the time of the Greeks and before. And the church uses the same idea to write her music to bring our souls into a godly space. But anyway... The music aside, the actual notes of the music aside, when I choose to listen to the lyrics and the glorification of, of death and suicide and sex and drugs and whatever else, I, I can pretend that that music is neutral and that it isn't a real big deal. But that's about as useful as standing in the no man's land of World War I and assuming that I'm not going to get shot. There may be a neutral zone, quote unquote, but there ain't nothing neutral there. So sin is 
is just as much, you know, what we're talking about is also our complacency and not seeing that this exorcism has to be also awareness on the field of keeping your head down and making sure that you're not doing stupid stuff that's going to get you shot, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, here's the thing. If we're saying if we're saying that the first task of exorcism is to retake uh, retake occupied territory, like let's speak of it that way. Like, I mean, this that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So this belongs to him. You and I, we are his image and his likeness. Um, we belong to him. So to the effect that we have allowed the illegitimate spiritual malignancy of sin to come into our life, you're talking about occupied territory that does not belong properly to the one that has it in his hands. So the first step is clear out the occupiers. I mean, it's guerrilla warfare. You clear out the occupiers. And that's, that's, that's the first thing. Well, well, then you got to be really careful not to just let them back in, right? Like, uh, th that's one of the reasons why, I mean, from an earthly perspective, uh, post-war alliances and treaties are so tenuous. Because how do you know that's not a literal Trojan horse to just let the enemy back in? I mean, there's a reason why that image from Homer's uh, telling of the Iliad is so eternal. You know, again, you know, they, how, how do you how do you know that you don't in that be that's the real fear. That's a, that's a real part of the fear. Like, how do you know that you're not just unwittingly inviting courting disaster right back in? And by the way, in a worse way than before, because your prisoner has been doing pushups. They're waiting and once they're past the defenses. I mean, they, you know. They, they're going to wreak havoc with a vengeance, literally. So, like, and, so, yeah, so, but, violent. But, but, I, but the problem is, it's we also can't squirrel ourselves away and live in this terror of everything is, everything is the devil, everything is evil, you know, and where we're just, that's, that, that's the other extreme to it, right? I mean, we can't, it all, we can't cloister ourselves away and never turn on the radio and listen to to music. I mean, like, that, that that's the other extreme, and that doesn't work either. It's self awareness, though. It's yeah. an aware. It's a, it's a constant mindfulness, a constant watchfulness that we are at war, that there are snipers on buildings and people around the corner corner waiting to pounce and destroy us. I mean, mm. it. Does life need to be enjoyed? Yes. Can life be a happy and wonderful and blessed thing? Clearly, of course it can. But that's because like John said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? I mean, living in fear is not God's intention, but no, overcoming the one that is in the world is God's intention. His you know intention is that we become like him. Right? So, you know, yeah, you know, what's really interesting, uh, because, I mean, there is also where the apostle says, behold, you have not been given uh, a spirit of uh, of timidity, but of boldness, right? But of boldness and strength in Christ. But what's really terrifying is in the apocalypse, once again, back to the apocalypse of John, towards the end, there's a paragraph where it talks about these various groups of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And right at the front of the list, one of the first words, I don't remember it's the first or second, but one of the first words is Dilion, cowards. Like, look at that. Cowards is on that list. And we're not talking about people who are like, you know, they'll they'll start a fight with anybody in the bar. Like, can you can you look into the blackness of your soul and see the consequences of where you've let sin in and how much ruin that has wreaked in your children's lives and still get up and repent and face it before your God and do everything in your power to turn that ship around? Or are you too much of a coward? It's easy. It's actually really easy to go pick a bar fight. Like that's not hard to do, but can you face the blackness in your own soul? Um, people will drink and dr people drink and drug that away to no end. So um, it, it's a, it's a real, so there's a, there's a real warning against that spirit of uh, timidity mm -hmm. and it'll, and it'll disguise itself as like humility. And it's not, I mean, that's the thing. The devil's a liar. He's never going to tell you, he's not going to tell you what he's actually doing. But, but I think that's, I think that's where, I think that's where we should leave off. I mean, we're, we're asking people to take a strong, sincere, repentant look at the spiritual influences that they invite in their life in every manner of way through every aspect of life and to clear out the bad to reconsecrate well like the liturgy says commit ourselves one another and our whole life to christ our god and to and because that covenant on our end will be shaky to keep re refighting that struggle tooth and nail is we'll lose ground and regain it we'll lose ground and regain it we'll lose ground and regain it and we have to accept that that is the battlefield reality of life and if we accept that then we can stand before christ and hear him say good and faithful servants uh so i think that's i think that's where we should leave off and um but let's come back to this topic because uh, I think I think this is it's not talked about enough, but this is the this is the real brass tacks and bottom line of all of the spiritual stuff we say and do because without this, right, you're just talking about uh, a, an ethical and moral system. Without if without if you don't have the spiritual world, then you're just talking about how am I a nicer citizen? And when did you, we see you, Lord, and not do those things? Yeah, I mean, if it just stops there, right? I mean, and and let's be clear, let's be clear, like that element, right? The element of doing good does exist, but but check, but even check out Jesus's example there in Matthew 24. When did see we see you and not do those things? And then of course, that's the goats, right? Uh, during the sheep and the goats, and then the sheep say, "Well, when did and we do these things?" Not the greatest things? of all time, either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, and of course the sheep, you know, they say, "Well, when did we do these things?" And they're both told, you know, whenever whenever you did or did not do these things to the least of my brethren. But but in actuality, that example bolsters what we're saying because what Christ is telling them, even this most humble of actions for the very least of the brethren has spiritual resonance and consequence. What you are doing has spiritual consequence. 
So whether you're doing it or not for the least of my brethren, whether you're doing it for your own self-aggrandizement, it is not neutral. Like even that, even this thing that would be very easy to turn into a social ethical gospel, even Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The consequences are eternal. Because again, uh, you know, unless you posit that even that parable doesn't make sense unless you unless you're looking and saying there's no spiritually neutral ground and this all uh, this all has consequence. So even there, it's like no, the least thing it, it counted on a cosmic spiritual scale. So uh, I'd say yeah, the the Christian is called to an exorcistic life to take and retake that ground for Yahweh, which is presently occupied quite illegitimately by the destructive force of sin, which of course is, uh, which of course is weak and impotent before his might. However, we trade that, we trade that to share in its weakness through the gratification that it offers. So it's, it, it's this, this is something I think we, we should definitely come back to more because it's the only thing that makes the whole spiritual life actually make coherent sense. I'm with you. Um, awesome. I'm totally with you. I've got some stories I could tell, but we'll leave those for a different chapter. Uh, Father, why don't you tell everyone again where they can find us online and on social media? Yes. All right. Once again, do please uh, find us on Anchor FM, uh, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts, uh, and on social media, Facebook and Instagram on the Battlefield Podcast. Send in your questions and comments and do share this out. God bless you all. Grant you a peaceful and prosper. Grant you a peaceful uh, and uh, profitable. That's the word I'm looking for. A peaceful and profitable Lent, and keep you and your family safe. God bless. And we will see you again here on the battlefield. <laughs>